So I want to go through in, in some research that I've done and, and a few different books and scholars and, and flipping through the Bible, I've, I've found the, that there's nine steps to a blood covenant. I want to step through those, show them what, what they are and what they mean, and then I'm going to show how they pertain to us now. So the first step that we see of the blood covenant is the, the taking off of the coat and the robe. So what they would do in the culture was that the very first thing they would do when they wanted to cut covenant with somebody was they would remove their outer garment, their coat or their jacket, and they would give it to the person that they're going to cut covenant with. And the, what that symbolized was that when they gave that jacket, it was saying that I will protect you with all that I am. Everything that I have, everything that I own is now yours. So they would swap outer garments to show that everything that, that I own, you now own, which is what we see in a wedding when we say all that I have is yours and all that you have is mine. It's that coming together of everything we own together, we now raise it together and we, we both own it. The second thing that we see is that they would then take off their belts remove their belts, not the belts that we have today to hold up our pants, but rather the belts would hold up sections of their armour and their weapons. So when they would take the belt off and give it to the person they were cutting covenant with, they were saying to that person, every weapon that I have, every battle that you enter, I will be there with you. I've got your back, essentially. So when they handed over their weapons, they would swap weapons and it would say to the other person, if you get into trouble, I will be there to fight for you. I will take your side regardless of what the fight's about. I will be there for you because we're now in covenant. So that was quite an interesting thing in, in the armies because it meant that if, if I'm cutting covenant with somebody with a larger army, I get that army in my protection. So if I go into, ba into battle, they would come with me to help protect me. <clears throat> the third thing that we see, sorry, you can see those two, those two steps are in 1 Samuel 18, 1 to 4, where David and Jonathan cut covenant. So it doesn't highlight, each time we see it, it highlights one or two of these steps that are in it. But when you flip through the whole, you can actually see that all steps were taken place. So in the third one, they would cut the covenant. So this is a little odd, and it goes back to the, um, to when they would, why it's called cutting covenant. They would cut a, a line in their hand, and then they would hold their hand up, and they would mix hands and hold hands in the air. And what it symbolized then was that we were becoming together, the coming of one, the two bloods mingling together. Did anyone do a, a blood covenant as a kid where you like pricked each other and you like touched fingers? Yeah? <laughs> Isn't it funny? Now, now they don't do it. They do like Instagram friends and things, Facebook friends. It's not the same. But the whole idea was that, that when they cut themselves, they would, they would draw blood, which was the, everything that, that made them who they are, and they would mix that blood together. So the coming together of the, the very makeup of their being was now formed and molded into one. Hence why in a marriage, when you consummate the marriage, there's the, the, the blood ceremony at the end of the marriage, which brings together the couple, brings them into one, one bloodline, one flesh. So we see that in Isaiah 6, verse 28. Step five was the exchanging of names. So the two parties would come together after they've now swapped clothing and, and weapons, they've, they've joined their blood together and they would exchange their last names. They would take on the other person's name and the authority that that name carried. So not only did they take on the name, but they also carried the authority. So in the Jewish culture, if you were a certain name in that town, in that city, you carried that certain authority. There was things that you, almost like a respect level that you had in that. So that was outlined in the name. So when they would swap names with people, 
It was highlighting that now I'm a Smith Jones, I carry both the authority of Smith and the authority of Jones. So it was a big deal for them to actually swap names because it, it meant everything they have is a part of me. So if I'm gonna go and fight the Smith family, but I now know he's a Smith Jones and the, the Jones family is a lot bigger than me, I'm not gonna fight them because I can see the authority and the, and the respect and honor that the two families carry. So the joining of name was quite a big deal because it highlighted the fact that now I can show the world who, which authority I'm carrying. So when we see in a, in a marriage ceremony where the wife takes the husband's name, it's supposed to mean that I take everything that that person carries. So when I married my wife, she got to take my name and the millions of dollars that I had, and she got to claim that as her own. And all the, yeah, and the $7 million in debt. I don't have a million dollars. But the, the reality of that, the, the thing that makes that such an important thing is that she gets to carry the authority that I have and gets to be known in the city as a part of that family which carries a level of authority. So you can see that, that when they would cut covenant, you don't want to be cutting covenant with somebody who's, who's giving you nothing. When you say that I'm going to cut covenant, there was a, a reality of I want to cut covenant with somebody who is going to enlarge my family, engross my family, make this thing much more powerful for me to step into. The sixth step was that they would make a scar. So they would, on their, um, on their right arm, they would cut themselves so that it would scar. And, and the, the reason for the scar was to show that when they walked into a village, they could lift their, their garment up and they could show that they had the mark that resembled that covenant. It also meant that they couldn't remove the covenant because the only way you could exit a covenant was by death. So when they would go in and cut covenant with somebody, they would mark their arm so that when they went to another village, they would show the village and they would go, flip, this guy has cut covenant with somebody else. I'm not just fighting him, I'm also fighting whoever he's cut covenant with. There was a, a missionary, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but he went into Africa and he traveled on bike from village to village. And every village he went into, he cut covenant with the chief priest so that when he went to the next village, he cut covenant again and he'd go to the next village. So as he got along his trip, he'd been to 50 villages and he had 50 scars on his arm. And the reason that he did this was there was a massive um, village that he wanted to go to, but he knew that he wasn't sure whether they were going to be okay with him coming in. So when he entered into their village, if they said, we don't want you here, they could have killed him on the spot. But because he showed his arm full of scars, if they kill that one man, they have to go and fight all of the others that he's cut covenant with. So in a sense, it was a level of protection for him to say that when I go through each village to village, I can, I can stand in that place and say, no, this is who's behind me. This is the, the army that'll come if you cause me trouble. So when he went, this is in Africa, so not even a Jewish culture, but obviously we see the cutting of covenant, the mixing of blood through numbers of different um, cultures. Thank you, mind blank number of different cultures, expressing that this covenant, this cutting of covenant, this becoming of one is such an important thing because without it, you stand on your own. Uh, we see that in Isaiah 49, 16. The final step, step seven, the giving of covenant terms. So the terms are outlaid and 
in most cases with a blood with a blood covenant it was that all that i own everything that i am is now yours so that's why we see at weddings we say all that i have is yours until death do us part because it's the highlight of the covenant that would be made that was unto death with everything that was had so when they outlay the terms there would be certain things but in most cases it showed that everything they had they would pass over step eight uh, so that's in Genesis 31, 52 and 53. Step eight, we see the second last step, which is the eating of a memorial meal. So they would come together and they would eat two things, bread and wine, because the wine represented the covenant of the blood and the bread represented the giving of everything that I had, the body, all that I am. So they would come together and together they would feast and have, have a big meal as a celebration, as a party to say, look who I've cut covenant with. Look who is now my friend. Look who I can now stand with in battle, in, in everything that I enter. The final step that they would do was they would go out. So that's Genesis 26, verse 28 to 30. The final step was that they would go out and they would plant a tree because the tree would grow and it would exemplify the fact that as they grow, their covenant grows. And it was a resemblance that every time they saw the tree, they could remember that they cut covenant with that person. So it was a symbol to highlight the fact that that when they walked through that city, that town, they saw the tree and they said, that's my friend that I've cut covenant with. That's the partner that I'm walking with everywhere that I go. When they would look at their arm or the scar on their hand, they could remember the person they cut covenant with. And I think it's fascinating that as we go through, we, we see all these things and we see so many places in, in our culture today where we fight for um, certain things. And that's why I, find, I found it so funny in, in the marriage debate because there's so many things within a Christian marriage that are based on a biblical principle. And, and it's kind of lost its way along there, the things that we remove and the things that we have within our weddings, like the eating of a cake. The reason that we have cake and we feed our, our spouse the cake was that to highlight that meal that we would have together, the, the giving of all that I am. So when we see all these things, it, it, it baffles me that, that we argue about marriage and that it shouldn't be a, a Christian phenomenon. And I think, but that's where they got it from. That's the whole foundation of a marriage is to enter into a covenant based on, on, on entering in with that person. So the other thing that we see in the covenant is that when, when a covenant is cut with a person, they hand down that covenant to their children until their children come of age and then can decide whether they stay in that covenant. I know this is a little bit drawn out and I promise it's going to get interesting in a minute, but I, I need to highlight all of this because when we actually begin to understand what this looks like in a Jewish culture and we bring it to today, it completely changes our outlook of what we're doing here. It completely changes the way that we walk with Christ. So the, the parents would cut covenant and that covenant would be passed down from children to children to children until they became of the age. And in the Jewish culture, the coming of age, as we most know, is that bar mitzvah. I think it's 14 years of age. The bar mitzvah for the boys and the bat mitzvah for the girls. They would come into the place where that's when they get to decide whether they stay in that covenant. So we, we see that quite interestingly, interestingly in the Bible with, with David when he, when he makes covenant with Jonathan and Jonathan and Saul die. And David was fighting with Saul and he, he showed dislike to Saul, but he cut covenant with Jonathan. So when, when Saul and Jonathan die, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, his son thought that David would come after him to remove the line of Jonathan, to wipe out the entire line. And he ran for him from, from, for, 
years at a time to get away from David's wrath. But when he meets with David, when David finally finds him, which we see in 1 Samuel 18, 1-4, he brings Mephibosheth back into his council, back into David's council, and he says, because of who you are, because of the covenant that I cut with your father, I will give you back everything. And he allows him to eat at his table. Mephibosheth says to him, but David, I am nothing but a dead dog. Why would you give me this? And he says, because I believe in the covenant that I cut with your father. And he asks him, do you want to stay in this covenant or do you want to go? He gives him the freedom to stay in that place or to go. And obviously he would be a fool to leave. He stays at the king's table and he eats with the king. But the incredible thing with that is that Mephuvah for Sheth was so, um, was so set that he was going to be killed because that was the common culture, that if you want to take a line out so that you can continue to reign, you just wipe the entire family out. But because he cut covenant with Jonathan way back at the beginning, he says, I'll honour that covenant with you and I will bring you into my house and make you who you are. If you've got a Bible, can we go to Hebrews uh, 8, 1 verse 13? please. Sorry. Hebrews 9, verse 11. Are we all there? Yep. Now that you're there, go back to Hebrews 8, verse 1. I'm just testing you. I'm just testing you. I just want you to flip through, get to know the pages, get to know how you can change through. Go to Hebrews 8, verse 1 for me. Sometimes you've got it written there, but you don't like to read your notes. You just have a stab at the numbers. Don't do that. It's not helpful. I've just found that out. Hebrews 8, verse 1. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would, be, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. So just pause it. That's talking about Jesus. That if Jesus was on earth, he would, he would not be a priest because he would not need to, to offer anything because there's already gifts being offered according to the law. Continuing from 8.5. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. Let me read that again. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. So we all understand what that's saying, right? We've come out of the old covenant, which was not quite as good as the one that we have now. The old covenant that was created in order to bring us to a place, but now Christ brings a covenant that is enacted on better promises. For it is that first covenant had been faultless, 
there would, if, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, for the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and have growing old is ready to vanish away. Is that not incredible? It's talking about the fact that Jesus has a new covenant that will come and be fulfilled and be much more incredible than the old covenant. Remembering that Moses went up to the mountain to get the laws from God, to get the old covenant from God. And then it says here that Jesus was going to be a better covenant than that. I think it's so uh, amazing that, and it says there, which is what we heard Brad preach about for two weeks, was that, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. God understood that Jesus was going to come and fulfill that old covenant and create a new covenant for us that was going to be just incredible, that allows us to walk in the freedom of sin so that we no longer have to carry the burden of sin because in that new covenant, the sin would be removed. Because right? in the old covenant, we couldn't remove that sin because the law was there. That's why Jesus came to fulfill the law and allow us to step into that place of freedom with no sin. So when, when God cut covenant with Abraham, he, he cut covenant on the basis that this covenant will be passed down from generation to generation to generation. Remembering that covenant could not be broken except unto death. So when you hear people say, well, if God is so all-powerful and so mighty, why in the world did he have to come and die? He had to come and die because he created a covenant with man that could only be exited by death. So either man or God had to die. Isn't that just mind-boggling? That God loved us so much that he created a covenant with man knowing full well that if we don't fulfill it, I've got to come and die. But I know you need the covenant in order to give what I want to give to you. So he, he cuts covenant. We got the best deal in that covenant. I don't know God got much out of that. And as I want to show you, I want to go through and show you the next step in the, in the covenant. But I just find even just the, the old covenant, as, as hurtful as it, we made it be when we, when we asked for more laws and we created them, it's just so mind-boggling that God would say, I'll cut covenant with you knowing that the only way I can get, we can get out is if one of us dies. The first step that we talked about was the taking off of a coat or a robe. In John 13, 4, we see Jesus wash the feet of the disciples. And it says that he takes off his outer garments. He took off his, his outer garments, his clothing, to give to the disciples as the first step of the covenant that he was starting to create. To say that I will give to my disciples, who's a disciple of Christ, and I'll give to my disciples all that I am. Hence why it says we must go forth and make disciples, because Christ said to the disciples, I'll give you all that I am. The second step that we see Jesus 
is in Romans 8.13 when it says that if God is for us, who can be against us? The giving of, of his weapons, the giving of everything that he has. He takes off in that moment where he took off his outer garments to wash the feet of the disciples. He was also saying that in every battle that you enter into, I will be at your side. You have all the weapons that I have. You can call on my power in the cutting of the covenant. You can call on who I am in everything that I do because all the weapons that I'm carrying I give to you. The third step, the cutting of the covenant. We understand that Jesus, obviously he died. He died to fulfill the old covenant and he rose back again to allow us to step into the new covenant. He created that covenant to say to you that when you enter into this covenant with me, you enter in unto death. That's why it's so important for us to die first and then be raised back to life as he did. That baptism is not just a symbol of our faith. There's a, there's a spiritual movement where you die with Christ in the old covenant. And when you come out of that water, you are willingly coming out, entering into the new covenant, just saying, God, I come out to you unto death that we actually die with Christ in that moment and we rise with Christ in that moment. Step four, the raising of the right arm and the, and the mixing of the blood, the cutting of the hand. In the old Jewish nature, it actually says that we would, in that mixing, you lose your old nature and you partake of the new nature, which is a blended nature with the person that you've given. So when Jess and I got married, when we stepped into that covenant, we lost our singleness and became a new nature of together, of one. Isn't that fantastic that Jesus is saying in this step, in the stepped process, you can come with me and, and take off that old nature, that sin nature that you were given through the Adam, and you can take on my new nature. That when he cuts the covenant, when our blood mingles together and becomes one, he's actually saying we step out of, like Brad was saying last week, we step out of that old covenant into this new covenant that is actually joined with me in blood. The reason that they used the blood and it was such a big deal was because the blood is what pumps through your body to make you alive. And Christ says, let me mingle my blood with yours. Let me, let me pump myself through your veins. In John 14, 20, it says that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. That's the highlight of this covenant, that we blend in with him. We become one nature with Christ, one flesh with Christ. The fifth step, the exchanging of names. We take on the other person's name and authority and the authority that their name carries. We carry, in the covenant that we walk into, if we decide to step into this covenant with Christ, we carry the authority that his name carries. How many times have we read in the Bible where we see that Jesus' name carries authority to, to allow demons to flee, to allow sicknesses to be healed, to allow peace to become on people? In Luke 10, 17, verse 20, the 72 uh, disciples return to Jesus and they say to him, they, they, it says that they shout with joy and they say to Jesus, even the demons flee at the authority of your name. They're so, they're so flabbergasted at the fact that, that Jesus, even your name, will make demons flee. The authority that just that name carries. So when we step into this covenant with Christ, we step into the fact that you're taking that name on. 
You can put that name at the end of your last name and say, I walk with Jesus. And I'm allowed the authority that his name carries. And in that authority, authority, darkness will flee at that name. The enemies will flee at that name. John 14, 13, it says, Whatever is asked in his name, in the name of Jesus. The sixth step, the making of a scar, John 20, verse 26 to 27. Jesus shows up to Thomas and shows him the scars that he has. He shows up to Thomas and he says, Thomas, see my scars. And it's Thomas who asks, can I touch them? Can I pop, pop my fingers in there because I'm not sure I understand. But the reality that Christ carried the scars back from death, that when he rose again and he came back to the disciples, I never understood why he would do that. But he does that so that when we look at who Christ is, we can understand that that's the covenant I cut with you that he died to take the old covenant and he's raised again to bring back the new covenant. Why wouldn't he come back in a whole body? But he comes back still bearing the scars so that he can show, remember, son, daughter, this is what I've done for you. Remember that this is the covenant that I carry. Remember that when you see me, you get to step in the faith, in the authority that I did on that cross. It's a permanent reminder for us to go, that's who we cut covenant with. Step seven, the giving of, the, of the, the covenant terms. The terms are outlaid. All that I have is yours. Everything that God offers to us, he gives us in this covenant. Everything that he walks in, the, the authority of his name is enough. But he offers us everything. Everything that he has, he offers for us to walk in that with him that we walk in that with him, alongside of him, to be a part of everything that he is. His divine power has been granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promise, so that though through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is the world because of sinful desires. 2 Peter 1, 3 to 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and goodliness. Everything that we see that pertains to life and goodliness, all the incredible things, God has given that in the covenant that we cut with him. Step eight, the memorial meal. Almost just about every church quotes the memorial meal, the last supper that Jesus has with the disciples. But the supper is to, to, to represent the covenant that we continually cut with him. To represent that when we drink that wine, when we, when we eat of the bread, it's saying, God, I remember the covenant. I think we've taken a, a, a weird skew on that where, where we, we kind of make that quite somber to say, God, I remember my sins and I'll, and I'll fix them because of what you've done. But it actually was, it was a, a festive thing that they did. It was a festive thing because those that entered into covenant with someone that was much greater than them would want a party. Look who I've just cut covenant with. Everyone come and see. Everyone come and see who's now on my list. Look how many battles I'm going to win because now I have this person I've cut covenant with. And we sort of take it and it's a bit somber and we, oh, thank you, it's very quiet. And, and I understand why we do that. But the, the actual freeing thing is look who I've now cut covenant with. I'm eating a meal that reminds me of Jesus, the, the king of all kings. I've cut covenant with him. I walk in him. I carry the authority that he carries. Everyone come and see. 
So when we sit and when we have that, that communion, we shouldn't feel overwhelmed by the grief of our sin or we shouldn't feel terrible. We should feel excited and we shouldn't be able to yell from the rooftops, everybody, remember, come and see this thing because that's who we've cut covenant with. It should be the most exciting, exhilarating thing that every time we eat a meal together and we say, Christ, we remember what you did. We remember who we stand with. We remember who we cut covenant with. We remember the scars and we can show any enemy that comes who you are because we remember what you've done for us. So when we step into that place when we're facing challenges, we go, hang on a minute. I have the scars of the King of Kings that I've cut covenant with. The blood of Jesus Christ runs in my body because he allowed me to do that. Because when I died with him and I raised with him, I become hidden in him. The final step, planting the memorial tree, which is even more well known than the memorial meal. But Christ went to the top of, of Golgotha and planted the most memorial tree we've ever seen in history. He died on a cross. The cross was planted in the ground to say, this is what I've done. Every time we see that cross, we remember, that's who I cut covenant with one of my, my dislikes to um, one of the Catholic traditions is that Christ still hangs on the cross. That cross, that planting of that tree is to look at it empty because that allows us to see the power that Jesus gave us. Every time we see a cross, Father, that's who I cut covenant with. The man that hung on that cross, God that hung on that cross for me, I get to stand in that place and say, that's who I cut covenant with. So when I'm standing in a place of, of pain and suffering, when I'm hurting and things are, are on me, I get to look at that cross and say, hang on a minute. I have all things that pertain to life and goodliness. I have the weapons of, of the name that carries all authority, the name above all names. I carry that in my arsenal. When, <laughs> that's why it's so interesting that, that's, that Satan gets away with so much. Because when we stand in a place and use his name in freedom, he looks back and sees who, who our, our father is, right? Who our, our covenant partner is. And that should excite us to the core. That should make us... <laughs> the whole way through Jesus' life, he was setting up the new covenant that we get to enter into. That when we step into... Christianity, when we step into walking with Christ, we get to step in with him into that. We get to be a part of who he was. If you've got your Bible, go back to Hebrews 9, 13. I will actually read from there this time, I promise. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of, of the blood of goats and calves, but, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal 
the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So we exit out of the first covenant by the death of Christ into the second covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated, inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet and wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was ne necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Whew. For God has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Sheesh, that's amazing. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters into the holy place every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifices of himself. And just as is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, has Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Christ is not coming back to deal with our sin. He dealt with it. It's done. But the next part, to save those who eagerly wait for him. Eagerly waiting for him. I think that is so incredible. That verse just absolutely wraps up the understanding of this covenant that we walk into with Christ. That when we step into that place, we don't have to keep going back to it. We don't have to keep... Um, um, being re-saved or being um, re-giving our life to Christ because it says that we don't have to do that. Christ already did that. But what we have to learn how to do is how to walk in the understanding of who we've cut covenant with, how to walk in the understanding of what Jesus gives to us, who he says that we are, in the fact that we can actually step into that place. Really quickly, I just want to go through these points on on what the blood actually has done for us. That yes, we get to step into, into that place. If you're taking notes, the first one, atonement through faith in the blood of Christ. Romans 3, 24 to 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ, whom God put forward as a, as a propitiation by his blood to receive to be received by faith this was to show god's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins number 2 we have justification through the blood romans 5:9 since therefore we have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of god so we have atonement we have justification number 3 redemption through the blood ephesians 1 to 7 in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. 
Number four, we have been brought close or near through, through the blood. Ephesians 2, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So atonement, justification, redemption, and we are brought near. Number five, he's, he has made peace through his blood. Colossians 1.20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Number six. He offered himself for our sins. The blood cleanses our sins. That's Hebrews 9.7. I didn't put that in because I want you to go and read Hebrews 9 all the way through. I didn't want to just give a snippet because it's quite a, if I did that, it wouldn't make sense. So we need to read the whole thing. Go and read Hebrews 9 and understand that in that we, we see Christ offering himself for our sins. Number seven, he entered the holy place by his blood. Hebrews 9, 12, 13, and 14. He entered once for all into the, into the holy places, but not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. Number eight, we have confidence to enter by his blood. Hebrews 10, verse 29. How much worse punishment do you think we will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which is sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? And number nine, the final one. We've been redeemed by his blood. 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Atonement, justification, redemption, being brought near, the peace, him offering himself for our sins, the removal of sin, he entered the holy place with his blood, the confidence and the redemption that we carry. I really want to challenge you guys to... to Begin to meditate and, and pray into this thing. Ask God to really change your mind and, and renew a faith in you that allows you to stand on who Christ is in everything that we face. That when we step into that place, we step into that place knowing, I know who I cut covenant with. Him. I know who Jesus is because I know who my Bible says that he is. And in that place, I get to remember who I walk with in this. And if you haven't, done that if you don't feel as though you're, you're in a place where you go I, I don't know that, that I actually have entered into that place then won't you come and chat with me after I'm not going to do a little prayer with you I'm just going to chat with you we can talk through what it looks like because I think the reality of this the cutting covenant this is a serious thing that we step into but it's a serious thing that carries the most incredible consequences that we don't choose this lightly, we don't step into this lightly, we take serious and go, God, I want to give you my life. Because remember, in that covenant, we give our jacket as well, we give everything that we have as well. And he gives everything that he has. I don't know about you, but we've got the, we've got the cracking deal in that. <laughs> we get to give away the rot that we carry and get back the absolute gold that he carries. So if you haven't, if you, if you don't know what that means, if you, if you don't feel as though you, you've actually stepped into that, why don't you come and have a chat? Let's, let's just talk through, and I'm, I'm not scary, I won't buy it, I promise. Um, and let's, let's walk through that. Because I think that sometimes we, we get to a place where we want to do, and I'm, and I'm not shutting them at all, but we get to a place where we want to do all these 
um, altar calls, but the severity of this is such a big thing that knowing this, that this is what you enter into, how could you not want to enter into this with Christ? When you know that that's what I walk in, that's what I get from this thing, that's who, who I get to be with in this, well, how would you not want to choose that? So why don't you stand and we'll just pray and we can go and eat some of the ridiculous cakes that Karen's put together and there's about 400 amazing things out there. She's been baking all morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God. Jesus, we honor you in this place. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you that you give us the opportunity to step into this with you. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that anything that I've said that's not of you just falls away. God, but the things that you want to speak into our hearts this morning begin to just permeate us right now. That you start a flame this morning, Father, that burns out of control, that allows us to step more and more and more and more into who you are, understanding who our covenant partner is. Jesus, I pray that you begin to reveal to us how we, we step into that understanding, that when we face problems in this world, when we face challenges and, and, and mountains, God, that we can begin to understand how to, how to show that mountain our scars that we carry with you, that we can show that mountain who you are, that we can say to the enemy in that place, you want to mess with me, I've cut covenant with Jesus. Why don't you just begin to show us, reveal to us how to do that in that time, Father. Give us the strength of who you are to step into that place. God, we honor you. We love you. And we thank you for everything that you do for us, everything that you allow us to be. You are so powerful and so mighty, Father. Thank you, God. Jesus, in your incredibly powerful name we pray. Amen.